Taking hold of your mental health journey can include unlearning the narratives we're taught early on. Being someone of Haitian descent, it was drilled into my head to get a fancy college diploma so that I can get a good job with benefits. But then as I got older and deeper into my career as a social worker, I realized that where I was headed was so out of alignment of who I was and what I believed in. I found myself subscribing less and less to the capitalistic viewpoint of success. So I decided to become an entrepreneur. I needed to live life on my own terms, not according to anyone else's definition of success. But it was also when I began working for myself that every emotion came to the surface. When you're riding the waves of entrepreneurship, you feel every bump and every turn. My anxiety and depression started to take a hold of my life. And some days it was hard to get out of bed. I still felt very far away from being fully aligned with who I wanted to be. I was chasing money and opportunities so that I could have more freedom, but I felt chained to the emotions from living a life that wasn't my own. Everything changed when I started my path towards healing. I was desperate for answers, connection, anything that would help me to find my purpose. I booked a last-minute flight to the mountains of Los Angeles for a mental health and wellness retreat. That retreat helped me to see how much painful emotions I was holding on to and how much connection I needed. I realized I was more isolated than I ever was when I was standing in a room filled with 15 other women who were also looking for peace and an end to their pain. Since then, there have been losses, lots of crying, and lots of anger, and lots of processing. A funny thing happens when we begin the journey to heal. You become light, you find answers within you, and you realize that you are the creator of your life, and you can be and do all that you want. When we find alignment, it is then we find peace. This is the Turning Points Podcast, a show about navigating mental health, sponsored by Point32 Health. I'm your host, Frances Lees. First, we talk with Glow Atanmo. She is a creative entrepreneur, travel blogger, content creator, and my coach. You might recognize her from Instagram at Glow Graphics. She's been to 90 countries and was living the dream life, or so she thought. The more I was traveling, the more I was on the road, the more gigs and brand deals I was landing, the more successful I felt, the more validation I got from others, the more accomplished I became. And so I wasn't willing to slow down. Success can energize us toward our goals, but that pursuit of success can put blinders on our mental and physical health. As Glow was traveling the world as a blogger and content creator, she started to feel discomfort in her abdomen. I was like... If I ignore it, it'll go away. (laughs) Pro tip, that is actually not how it goes. In February 2019, she's traveling in Malta when she realized she couldn't push away her physical or mental health concerns. Eventually, the pain got so bad, I'm tossing and turning. The doctor realizes if it exploded internally, I could have bled to death. And the fact that I was so caught up in like, just ignoring it. And I was like pushing it further and further back. 
she had to have an emergency operation. I had grown this 28 centimeter cyst. That's like the size of a watermelon. Or as the surgeon said, seven months pregnant on an average woman. And I had felt my stomach bloating for several months, but it would always, depending on what I ate or maybe the stress levels of that day, it would just go up and down. The surgery saved her life, but slammed the brakes on her travel and business goals. I was on the no-fly list for eight weeks, and all of a sudden, everything that gave me purpose and validation was stripped away. And I'm going through this mental dialogue of who am I? What is my purpose? What do I do now? I can't post anything because I, you know, my travels are put on hold. And I think that was the first time I was like, Glow, if you don't get your inside right, like your mental health right, you're going to get caught up in the same cycle. So I start doing my daily Bible devotionals. I start meditating. I start reaching out to friends and just telling them like, hey, I'm not okay. I think that's really hard when you're the strong person. People look to you for the strength. And it was really humbling to like reach out to other people and be like, I don't have any answers and I'm not okay. And I've been hiding this from you and I just, I need help. I need you to just listen to me cry on the phone. I was telling friends to send me memes because I'm like, send me any jokes that you find that can make me laugh. And every day I would just wake up to, you know, a few dozen jokes and it would just lift my spirits. But man, it was tough. It was tough. But I needed to be broken open because I felt like finally I was able to be honest with where I was mentally and confronting my depression. And you also sometimes don't see you don't think you have room to complain ever. So yeah, the new metric became how good do I feel about myself rather than like how many people is this going to reach? It's like, who's going to be helped by the one person who needs this? And then how good do I feel about myself posting this? Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people can relate to being the strong one. And it took a lot of courage to really reach out to people because you have to be in a super vulnerable state to do that, to admit it to yourself that like, I really need a bit more support than I thought I did. Yeah, We are not meant to carry everything all, right? So you did your Bible devotions, you talked to friends. Were there other kinds of treatments that you did to get more support during that turning point? Yes, definitely cannot overemphasize the importance of therapy. I put myself on standing appointments In the past, I was like, okay, therapy is something you do when you're going through something, family death, and just really traumatic. You almost believe your own strength. And I'm like, no, Glow, like admit your weakness, because weakness is a good thing. If I keep believing my own strength, then I'll never seek the help that I need. So I was like, no, Glow, you are feeling weak and vulnerable. Get help. And so standing appointments were powerful because even when I started to feel like I was doing better, still having that regular biweekly check-in allowed me to tap into other aspects of my life that maybe I had tucked away for a bit. With my current therapist, we've we've explored every age, every experience, every milestone. One thing that Glow learned in therapy is how to set clear boundaries. For Glow, this looks like purposefully stepping away from work in the form of sabbaticals. How do you reinforce some of these boundaries that you take? Because... Some people feel like when your business is at its peak, this isn't a time to step away. (laughs) But sometimes it is the time to step away. 
you work so hard to get people to care about the work you do. And so once they care, you're like, it's almost like the social capital is a currency. It's like, oh my goodness, like all of a sudden I'm rich with exposure. How could I step away? And so I definitely got caught up in that cycle until I was forced to step away in 2019. The rest of that year, 2019, that was probably my least posted year on Instagram, social media. Prior to that, I had averaged, (laughs) I think for four years straight, I posted up to three times a day. It was wild. It was like from 2014 to 2017. Posted every single day for four years, up to three times a day. And if you even take the average of my Instagram post, I think I have almost 6,000 posts. If you divide it by the 11 years that I've been on Instagram, it averages out to 1.2 posts a day. Okay, so 2019, I'm starting to like get into mental health. And in 2020, I got a little bit more strategic and I said, okay, let me take a week off every single month. Let me just have like, it could be the first week of the month. It could be the last week of the month. I just knew when it came, it was there and I just honored it. And then most recently, now in 2022, I found myself on a seven-week creative sabbatical. First time I introduced that word sabbatical because I was watching documentaries and I was looking at other careers. And professors, they take a sabbatical. And writers, I learned some authors, they go on sabbatical to get inspiration for their next book. And I was like, why don't creatives have sabbaticals? Like, why don't we take sabbaticals? I think if we're always teaching and publishing and producing We leave no room to be inspired. Everything is about balance, right? Balance. Yep. And if there's no balance, you're going to find yourself way too far on the right or too far on the left. That's it. Lots of lessons happen on that that side of the balance. (laughs) Thank you, Glow. You're welcome. (laughs) Balance. I love that word. To me, A life well-lived must include balance. Whether you're pursuing a professional goal, spiritual growth, or a deeper understanding of mental health, we need to bring balance into the conversation. Our next guest brings balance into her roles as founder and CEO. But I first knew her as the MC for Open Mic Nights in Washington, D.C.'s poetry scene. Shelly Omalade-Bell goes by Omi, and she is the founder and creator of Black Girl Ventures. Black Girl Ventures, or BGV for short, connects Black and Brown women founders to capital, capacity, and community. So today we're talking about turning points and how we personally define ambition and success. And I wanted to bring you on the podcast because we've had a lot of personal conversations about this topic. And you're a serial entrepreneur, a computer scientist, a creative And your work with creating Black Girl Ventures inspires and funds even more entrepreneurs to chase their dreams. And your motto, which I always love, is resist being average. So I guess in short, you know, (laughs) you're pretty ambitious. You have big dreams. Uh, Is is ambitious the word that can hold all my visions? (laughs) I guess we'll find that out in the course of this conversation. But let's talk about like the double-edged sword. And I've spoken to founders as well who, because of their ambition... They've had a challenge in managing both ambition and mental health. So I'd love to know your take and how has your mental health been impacted from pursuing this ambition, especially during the expansion and the adjustments and the pivots and all that goes along with that journey. I can just tell you that there wasn't a lot of attention to mental health over the years. 
starting on this journey of entrepreneurship before BGV, I really was in fight or flight mode. I was on autopilot. I was having an automatic response to being laid off twice. And now I was engaged to a person who did not want me to start a business. After I got laid off and we went through many fights, that relationship broke down. So there I was, single parent with three children, with no job. And I decided I'm not going to go back and work in a place that can just come in and lay me off. I'm not doing that. So I'm going to build a business. And maybe like three years in, I had a breakdown. It was like I had not grieved because that initial point where I'm now no longer about to get married and I've lost two jobs, I was at rock bottom for me. Everything that I did not want to come true had come true. So I don't even know what I'm going to do in my life, but I knew that I was not going to stop and cry about it at that moment. That was fight or flight mode. I'm not saying that that was the best thing to do. I'm saying that's what happened to me. And I had that breakdown and it was almost out of nowhere. You know, it was like my body knew that my efforts had caught up to be able to kind of give me a place in life to just live. Everything started panning out. I had capital coming in every month. I got business. I got clients. Things are growing. I'm becoming more known in the community for business. And I just was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I sad? And I just cried and cried. And I almost couldn't get up. To be clear, this breakdown happened years after her so-called rock-bottom moment. She had built up her business. She was a successful entrepreneur. But her feelings of grief, stress, and anxiety caught up with her. I had to lean into coaching to really, really talk through what I was feeling and just a place for me to have that conversation and realize that I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of those jobs. I was grieving the loss of the person I was before. I was grieving the loss of my idea of who I was going to become. That whole idea was shaken up. Thank you for sharing that. That's something that a lot of people can resonate with, that ambitious path to your goals, to your dreams, and your head down. It's almost like a bull, you know, going through a crowd. There's trade-offs to making some of that stuff happen. And there comes a point where you come to a place and you're like, wait, what was I doing all this for at one point? You know, because I don't feel good. I really don't feel good. And so I love breakdowns because breakdowns create breakthroughs. And so for you, you start to think more of your own personal health. So can you tell me what you said you did the coaching? So I started doing work on myself. And there's a couple tools. There's this one tool that one of the spiritual women that I worked with before that she gave me. And one of them is thinking about the negative talk that you give yourself. And to kind of shift that, this is brain science, by the way. So it wasn't that she just made up some woo-woo thing to do. This is brain science. So what she told me to do, and this is the power of going to different coaches too. What she taught me to do is, let's take a narrative like me saying, I'm not worthy of running a multi-million dollar company, right? And let's flip that into, I am worthy of running a multi-million dollar company. Now, you put it into three tenses, I, you, and then your name. So I'll say Omi. So it's, I am worthy of running a multi-million dollar company. You, Omi, are worthy of running a multi-million dollar company. 
Omi is worthy of running a multi-million dollar company. And you take these one by one. And so what you do is, let's say I take, I am worthy of running a multi-million dollar company, right? You write it. And then on the next line, you write whatever comes to mind. I don't care if it's like, oh, this is stupid. I don't want to keep writing. And then again, you write, I am worthy of running a multi-million dollar company. And then again, you write whatever comes to mind. It don't matter what it is. You write it out. And you keep doing that 10 to 20 times, same phrase, keep filtering through whatever comes to mind after you say it. And the more you do it, you actually start being like, yeah, yeah. You do the first, each phrase, I would say 20 times until you reach the point of agreement. And it is the power of changing your mind. And if I don't reshape my mindset, If I can't reframe how I think about this, I won't be able to get there. It was a huge turning point because I started hardcore writing out goals, manifesting like, no, I can run a multi-million dollar company. I know that I'm ready to manage other people's money. I know that I'm ready to move into this layer of finance. And I would say within two years after that is when all the capital started rolling in and we really started moving to shake in with BGV. Now, I love that suggestion, and most people aren't accustomed to talking out loud or writing in that kind of tone, language, words. You might just be like, I don't believe I'm that because blah, blah. You might start actually explaining to yourself why you're not worthy of that affirmation or why that affirmation doesn't feel real to you. And then you also check yourself all in the same 20 lines because then you're like, wait a minute, wait. Why would I say that to myself? It helps pull out those narratives that you've been living with. What do you think is so important for founders to know when starting their business in regards to how it impacts their mental health? I think the key is just being like water, right? And it's just like letting things come, letting things go. Don't try to, don't try to linger if it's time for you to go, right? Like just intuitively know when to move and go ahead and move. Because a lot of times as founders, you're operating off your intuition anyway because you might be testing something that never really has been done before. So you're gathering your research and moving off intuition at the same time. I think it's really important to note that founders should bake mental health in the same way, like (laughs) the bail team, which is like your banker, accountant, insurance, and your lawyer. We need to bake in there therapists, baking their coaches, activate different people inside of your business journey. You need a support team. The same way you need a support team if you were having some type of surgery or care for you in other ways to your body, same thing for your mental and your spiritual. We got to give it that level of reverence, that level of attention. And a lot of times we don't if we haven't been trained to think about it that way. Every day you're actively still in the process of working through a lot of these things. And taking it day by day, moment to moment, what are you still learning about yourself when it comes to ambition, mental health, as you navigate all of these spaces? I'm learning that I'm really sensitive in a way. I'm learning that like I have some softness to me that I hadn't let come out because the narratives of like, I got to go, I got to go hard. I got to go, go, go. I got to be harder, faster, stronger, bigger, all of those things. Because of that narrative, that was what was defined as ambition for me. 
How hardcore are you going? How much you want to work? Can you beat the next person? Right? What I've learned through my journey now is that that's actually not what I love. I thought I loved that. And now look at it. It's like, actually, why don't you make sure that other people are included in the journey so that you can actually build things bigger or so you can rest? So I don't believe in stress-free. I believe in stress-fluid. I don't think it's real to be stress-free because stress going to come. It's going to attempt to you know, affect you, and you're going to have to, in those moments, figure out how you let things roll off. Well, thank you, Omi, for being on the show, and thank you for sharing your story with us. I know that the audience is going to really find this super helpful. Thank you so much. Maybe you can relate to Glow or Omi's mental health journeys while they pursued their goals and ambitions. Our next guest is an expert who can speak to what's going on under the surface and to shift our internal narratives about ourselves. Stevan Lewis is a licensed psychotherapist based in Inglewood, California. His specialty is working with people with imposter syndrome. He also hosts the podcast, How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. My podcast is really focused on Black and brown achievers or strivers, people of color that have really done well in life. And I think it's a unique space because oftentimes we see successful people and outside looking in, we feel like they are aligned and attached to that success and we are grading it ourselves. And sometimes they are having extreme difficulty connecting to that success. A lot of times you see self-confidence is really lacking. So despite having accomplished what they have or exhibiting the skills that they do on a consistent basis, they aren't convinced that they have what it takes to continue to do that in the manner that they've been doing it so far. And it's kind of the most interesting thing for me. And so I'm kind of tackling a lot of that stuff and these beliefs that they adopt about themselves that aren't really true. It's such a paradox, right? It's like when you look around, there have been all these quote unquote milestones and things of that nature, but still there's like this void there, right? And I think if we don't define what ambition is or what success is for us, then the outside world will define it for us, right? Exactly, exactly. And then we run into that dissonance, right? We're exploring how we define ambition and how we can shift our mindset to include mental health in that definition. So I think there is also this perception that ambitious people need to be working all of the time, like the hustle culture, hashtag team no sleep, you know, to reach their full potential. But that's, as we know, that wears after some time, right? It, it's not always a healthy approach. What are some strategies that we can use to change our mindset from unhealthy societal standards? How can we move away from those harmful narratives? I'm glad you brought that up. And I think when we talk about the, the age we live in now, the age of social media and the constant reminder that everyone is doing something all the time and something good. And I think when we start to compare ourselves to that, it becomes an issue. And I like to be a little bit more specific and say when we negatively compare ourselves to that, and that is a recipe for a disaster. And it's like you said, is that this idea that we need to be grinding all the time, you know, you got to be on, on the hustle, like you said, team no sleep. And we know that that really isn't conducive to us being able to be successful long term. And I think I try to talk to people about looking at life more as a marathon and less as a sprint so that we are trying to find a lane 
And we want to run as hard and as comfortable in that lane so that we can last as long as possible. So part of what I kind of get people to do is have them really talk through or talk out their understanding of how they're defining success. Oftentimes we have this kind of internal definition and we aren't stating it audibly so that we can hear what it sounds like. And if you listen to people, when you have them voice or verbalize their definition of success, especially for high achievers, it's often, I would say, almost like this definition of perfection, the most perfect form of myself functioning at the highest level will look like. And we know that we can't control everything that happens in the universe. We can't control when things happen. Uh, If we could, we'd all live our lives exactly how we wanted, and we'd all be extremely happy. And that's not really the case. And so I think getting people to recognize that they are placing a demand on the universe to provide to them this vision of success in exactly the way that they've envisioned it. And it has to happen that way that they are distressing themselves when that's not how it happens. And so broadening or loosening that definition of success is going to be really important. I love that you have them pick that apart because they kind of have to look from the outside in, right? They have to kind of like step outside and then really look at it on paper. Sometimes, you know, even with my clients, I have them take stuff out of their head. I'm like, yo, just write everything negative. Just write it all down. And then when you look back at it, you're like, wow, I, I was saying this about myself. So I think that is a very powerful exercise. For sure. I've worked with a lot of people that have achieved really, really high success. So I mean, people who have made tons of money, who have started companies from the ground up that are, you know, sort of household names that have been featured in major media outlets and still don't believe that they know what they're doing. So one example I share is of a person I worked with where they, and in California, it's a high tax state. So (laughs) you have to pay a lot of what you make back. And this person has a business that they created and started. And they were talking about what they had to pay in taxes. And it was almost half a million dollars, right? And and thinking about how much you have to make to have to pay half a million, it's a lot of money. And there's still this part of, I don't know what I'm doing. You talked about it a little bit or hinted at it is that the evidence is there. You're doing the things And none of it fills the void or fills that space of where you recognize your talent and are able to kind of attach to it in that way. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that really stands out for me is that people are doing amazing things of what I think you and I would say pretty amazing. And they are not able to say that it was good and it was enough. And so it's this fear that they live with that it's not going to last very long. And it's like, hey, you started something that didn't exist. It got to a place where it was making millions of dollars, obviously, because you had to pay half a million back. And (laughs) I think you'll be fine, right? Like, I think you'll be okay. It's still that disconnect. And that's like not an uncommon experience of people that I'm working with. And when I think of folks who are high achievers, that drive comes from a place of lack, you know, growing up, right? I've heard people say, I got to prove them wrong. I'm not going to be who they say that I'm going to be, that sort of thing. And when you come from that place of lack, nothing will fill it until you change that narrative, until you redefine all of those narratives that you grew up with and the ones that you hear around you as an adult. So I think that's so, so crucial 
to look at. So when we look at mental health, how do they redefine ambition to include mental health? Listening to you speak, I'm like, oh, we're about to go deep now because <laughs> you're talking about childhood stuff that we bring along with us into adulthood and that scarcity mindset when you talk about lack that having had to do without or go without has now caused us to hoard or be live in fear of not having, even when our skill set and our abilities suggest that won't be our truth. And so when you talk about incorporating mental health into that space for these individuals, I talk to them about their childhood. I'll ask questions, you know, some of that kind of Socratic questioning that we'll do to kind of explore how people got to these belief systems or beliefs about themselves and their abilities is to ask them like where they learn that they aren't enough or they won't have enough and where they adopted this belief that their abilities aren't as good as what others perceive them to be. And so you start to talk about experiences where people maybe came home from school and the lights were out. And so this drive and ambition is that I can't have in my life an instance where I come home and things aren't taken care of. And so there's this fear, even though that's not been them since they've been responsible for their own life, right? Like maybe as a kid, that was it. Their parents weren't great with money or didn't really have the education or knowledge. And that's not their narrative or their reality, but they still live as though it is. And so getting them to kind of really think about like, hey, you're living with a lot of anxiety around this piece of not having, and you've closed the gap on that. You've done a really amazing job. You've more than closed the gap. Maybe we can start to let go of some of this fear and this anxiety and concern that you have about being able to kind of have your needs be met because you've done a phenomenal job to meet your needs. So some of the thought processes, mindsets, and feelings got these high achievers somewhere right? So it worked up until a certain point, worked in quotes, right? But whatever needs to get you to the next level, whatever you've been doing will not take you to the next level. That's where you come in, right? So how does someone include personal wellness in their definition of ambition to help them actually reach their ambitious goals to get to that next level? A lot of the worry and concern that people have drive them to accomplish these great things. And I think that's hard for them to let go, even when that same kind of worry or concern no longer works. And that's what you're speaking to is that how do people recognize when it's time to let go of what worked to a point and adopt new strategies and new beliefs? The litmus test for me, I think, is I have clients look at whether or not their way of being is still helping them be successful or are they telling themselves it's what helping them to be successful. And so part of that is we talk about a lot of the impact that's negative that it has on them. And so, you know, they're sleeping less now. They are neglecting other areas of their health that they are probably having impact to their relationships. Work is becoming something that they are not liking or enjoying as much as they used to. Maybe we need to change some of that pressure that And I use a ton of analogies, you know, how we update our phone every now and again to make sure that it's appropriate and is using the newest technology, that we update our definition of what helps us to be successful. And maybe earlier on in their careers, what helped them was the idea that they had to be head down and kind of myopic and really focused on grinding it out and getting things done. And now that they have ascended to a higher level or evolved, then those things aren't really necessary for them. 
and that for the people they compare themselves to on social media, maybe that's what they need to be able to go fast or to be able to be successful. And that might not be true for myself. Yeah, the journey is so unique and it's helping people to understand that. And I love how you mentioned how those steps and those decisions that got you there are impacting your surrounding areas of your life, right? And we had an earlier guest and we talked about the moment when she was working so hard as an entrepreneur that when she finally took a moment to rest at everything that she was feeling flooded to the surface. Because when you're going, you don't have time to process and feel anything, right? Because there's decisions to be made, there's income goals to be met. So how does stress affect our mental health and the way we process emotions? Yeah, stress puts us in that fight or flight situation. And we are constantly worrying or thinking about what can go wrong. And it causes us to then want to, I guess, mitigate that stuff. And so we're constantly planning and being strategic and living in a way of where we're neglecting our own needs because the idea is that something unpleasant is right around the corner. And so I think that it's helpful to get people to think about or understand at least that you worrying, stressing about and thinking about how to solve all these things that haven't happened yet that you've suggested could happen, isn't really helping you be more adept at navigating that stuff. I love how you pull out their gifts because they do forget how resourceful, like how you're able to navigate doing what you do, building what you've built. Let's talk about that. Let's give that a bit of recognition, right? And they often forget because they just, they don't even have time to pat themselves on the back. You know, an earlier guest that we interviewed said that she's adopting a stress fluid kind of attitude towards stress, right? Because she doesn't believe that you can actually be stress-free, but you can be fluid when stress comes and goes. It's almost like a wave, right? How can we actively manage our stress on a day-to-day basis? So some of the things that I work with my clients on managing their stress is getting people to recognize that there's not these absolutes, so to speak, that will be without stress, that it's, hey, how are we going to live with stress in a manageable way? Things, again, are always happening around us that we can't control and we can't plan for that are unforeseen. And that doesn't mean that when those things happen, they have to always derail our life. And I think that getting my clients to recognize that as they move up in the world and kind of go to higher heights and accomplish more and they become responsible for more, that it's not so much that idea of it's a season, this too shall pass, that it's really an instance of where kind of like an elevator, you've gotten to a new floor. And this is how this floor works. And how will you be able to thrive on this floor considering that the obligations are increased? Free time you have isn't what it used to be. And that doesn't mean that now life is miserable. It's saying, how will you change and adapt? And so really drawing on that resourcefulness that people have and getting them to be really intentional, which is part of the difficulty with people who are kind of high achievers because they can really hone in on the part that makes them successful and downplay or minimize the part that doesn't lead to like money or business related. And so that's the not neglecting your own needs. So what are the things you need to be able to function the highest that you can? And some for some people, it's, oh, well, I need to be able to have an hour of time to meditate. And it's like, okay, so how are you going to get that? Is that going to be one block you're going to set aside for that? Is it 15 minute increments throughout the day? And also getting them to be aware that that needs to be a non-negotiable. 
So making this list of non-negotiables of like, hey, I need these things in order for me to continue to be successful. And it's hard for them to accept because they're used to doing for others and not themselves. And I'm telling them self-care is a little bit selfish and rightfully so. And the thing I would like hope that if anybody is listening to this podcast or has issues with imposter syndrome or achieving higher heights is the benefit to being able to trust yourself. And I think that people get away from that and they are taught to kind of question themselves. And I'm not saying go through life, not listen to anybody else. And I'm always right. And everything I do is perfect and great. I'm saying sometimes you have to be able to look at yourself and say, I know that I got it. And even if I don't know what I will do, I'm really good about figuring that stuff out. And so getting people to kind of say, hey, this doesn't work for me. Maybe I don't need to force it. Let me find another way to still be able to accomplish this goal. And I think when people can be more flexible in that space, then again, trusting themselves and understanding the universe and the impact it has on our daily lives and what we can and can't control, that they are more free to accept other iterations of what their vision for themselves will be. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you for being on the show today, Stevon, and sharing your story with us and giving so many gems. You dropped so many gems today, and I'm sure the audience is going to really take a lot of it to heart. Thanks for having me. Wow. I've learned so much from all three of these conversations. So what does success look like for you? Is it a big house and a fancy title? It's okay if it is, but maybe it's worth reconsidering and reprioritizing your life to make sure you're working toward your definition of success instead of someone else's. We learned so much from our guests today, but my biggest takeaways were, first, take breaks. Step away from your work, listen to your body, and pause when you need to rest. Second, address hidden narratives you might be holding on to from your past. Recognize that you are capable, strong, and able to navigate life's challenges. And lastly, try to be stress-fluid rather than stress-free. Life will always have its stressors, but there are always ways to manage that stress. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. Find Glow Atanmo on Instagram at Glow Graphics. Her website is learnwithglow, that's G-L-O dot com. To learn more about Omi and Black Girl Ventures, head to her website, blackgirlventures.org. That's blackgirlventures.org. Stevan Lewis posts about imposter syndrome on Instagram. You can follow him at Stevan Lewis MFT. He also hosts this incredible podcast, How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. Go and check it out. And visit globe.com forward slash turning points one word for more information on mental health care and resources. To hear more stories of turning points, join us for our next episode. We'll talk about addiction and how treatment is not a linear path. Thanks to our production team at Pod People and Fuse, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Michael Aquino. And special thanks to Point32 Health and the Studio B team at Boston Globe Media. Point32 Health is committed to connecting the community 
to personalized solutions that empower healthier living. 